2 Timothy chapter number 2, 2 Timothy chapter number 2, what a blessing it is to be with you tonight. A lot of places we could have been, I'm glad that we're here this evening. And uh, there's folks wish they could be here that can't be, and uh, that just makes me all the more thankful that I can be tonight, amen. 2 Timothy chapter number 2, and I'd like to read just two verses to you this evening before we go to the Lord once more in prayer. Uh, but I, actually, I'll tell you what, let's start at verse number 1. We'll read four verses. You think you can handle four verses? I believe you can. We'll start at verse number 1, give us a little bit of context here. 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Word of God says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. What a blessing it is to be in your house. Pray that you'd take your God-breathed word. I pray that you'd take it and wield it tonight in our hearts and minds. And may we be formed more into the image of Christ. May victories be won that redound unto your glory and honor. And Lord, may uh, strongholds and, and uh, high imaginations be cast down. Uh, Lord, may you just in everything have the victory. And we'll be sure to thank you for it. Lord, we love you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In our text tonight, I want to spend a few moments looking at verse number 3 and, and 4. But this is part of a larger uh, series of messages that uh, span the entirety of this chapter of the Word of God. Uh, Paul, in this chapter, of course, speaking to the young uh, pastor Timothy, and he gives him some counsel that we might say is more attuned to the pastoral work that Timothy's life would be invested in. Uh, but really, the things that he says to Timothy here, he communicates to all believers. And there's truth here that helps not just me as a pastor, but also helps you as a church member, and helps all of us as a child of God, helps all of us to understand a little bit about how God views us and what our responsibilities are. We're living in a day of mass confusion. And one of the first steps to clarity in your life is to understand who you are in Christ and what He expects out of your life and mine. Uh, we can't remedy the confusion that the world lives in. I hate to tell you that. I, I wish we could. But the reality is that the world is going to continue to be ever as confused as it's always been. What we can do, though, is make sure that we have a clear understanding of what God expects of us. You say, preacher, what, what's 2021 going to look like? I, I really, I don't know. I wish I could tell you. I, I thought about having our calendars done in dry race this year. Amen. Just because <laughs> I didn't know what to expect. I don't know what it will look like, but can I say this? The marching orders for us stay the same. It never changes what God expects out of our life. And uh, so I think getting clarity, you may not be able to know what's around the corner, and I don't either. There are certain things we can tell by the promises and person of God, but as far as what events may unfold before us, this past year has cured me of saying never about some things. Instead, I'd just say this, we ought to stay the course. We ought to keep doing what God's called us to do. And so the Apostle Paul gives advice and counsel to young Timothy, and in this chapter, he communicates the believer as being likened to seven different things. We talked about the first one last week in verse number 1 when Paul says, Thou therefore my son be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And Paul here is not talking about a biological relationship. Rather, he's talking about a spiritual relationship. 
He's talking about the relationship of the godly heritage that Timothy enjoys and that he had had a direct part in. Uh, but I think it also looks beyond that. Harkens to the fact that every one of us that are born again, we were born into the family of God. We're a child of God. And as a son or as a daughter, we have responsibilities to our heavenly Father and to the family of God. So we spend some time talking about the believer as a son. Verse number 5, he says this, If a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. Here he likens the believer to an athlete. Or I use the word a sprinter. Certainly Paul had an abundance of illustrations that related to uh, the Olympic Games of that day and to the athletes in Rome and, and particularly so of the runners. He used different analogies about uh, running and not being encumbered by weights and things that might hinder you. He talked about running and staying in the lane and course that God has put you upon. And here he talks about the importance of following the guidelines and rules of the contest that you're a part of. Uh, can I say this? God didn't save anybody to be lawless. He didn't save you and I to be lawless. Uh, he did not release us from the Old Testament law that we might be outlaws, but rather that we might be part of a greater law, and that's the law of Christ. And your life and mine will be measured not just by what we accomplish, but by how we accomplish it. God does not only care about what we do, He cares about how we do it. So uh, He likens the believer to a sprinter. Down in verse 6 He says this, The husbandman that laboreth, must be first partaker of the fruits. He likens the believer to a sower, to a farmer, to someone that is that is pouring and investing himself into the ground and is seeking to uh, elicit and, and grow from that ground uh, sustenance and food and provision. And that's what he says that you and I as believers are, are like. We're like sowers. We're taking something that's been passed down and handed to us and we are planting it. We are putting it into the ground. We are putting not only for safe haven, but also for multiplication. We are wanting to bear fruit for the Lord Jesus Christ. So he likens us to a sower. Verse 15, he says, This study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So here he likens you and I to a skilled laborer, uh, and, uh, particularly as it relates to the study of the word of God. He says that we ought to approach the study of the Word of God like it is our craft, like it is our passion, like it is the thing by which men will determine and define us. You know, that's true as it regards the believer and the Word of God. What you do with the Word of God is going to determine what you become in your life. How much attention we give to the Word of God is going to determine uh, what we become in life. The sad truth is so many of us want to want to slap together our study of the Word of God like a macaroni, you know, glue five-year-old picture or something, or like a, like a hand turkey, and then we're surprised whenever we don't have uh, the, the spiritual ammunition to face the battles of our day. But we need to be skilled laborers in the Word of God with the same attention that a master craftsman would give to their art. So he, ta he calls us a skilled laborer. Verse 21, he says this, if a man therefore purge himself from these, he's talking about ungodly things, he says he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Here he likens the believer to a sanctified vessel. In other words, we are a cup, we are a vessel, we are a container uh, that is only here to be filled up and poured out according to the master's whim and will. You know, that's what our life is. Whatever is in our life, uh, I'm not saying that I, I'm not a determinist. I do believe we have free will and choice, and I do believe there are consequences to the things 
that we do, but I mean the things that are beyond our control that are just sort of dispensed to our life. Uh, those things, we're just a vessel. Those things have been poured into our life and God is seeking to get glory out of those things and He's seeking for us to be more, made more righteous through those things. We ought to quit, listen, we ought to quit, we ought to quit blaming what God's doing on the world around us. I'm not saying the world's not crazy and I'm not saying the world's not wicked. I'm saying God's in control of everything. It could be we'd grow deeper if we would begin to look around us and quit blaming everything on the world around us and start instead looking to the God above us and saying, Lord, what are you trying to do in my life through this thing? So he describes us as a sanctified vessel. And then in verse 24, there's not much we really need to say until we get to it and preach it, but he says this, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and patient. And of course, what is a Christian if he's not a servant? I'll tell you this, if he's not a servant, he's not a Christian. He may be a child of God, but he's not Christ-like if he's not a servant of God and a servant of others. So here he lays these out. But tonight I want us to notice verses 3 and 4 in particular. Listen to what the Word of God says once more. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Here, of course, and you already know it, I don't even have to say it, the believer is likened unto a soldier. Uh, how many of you know there is spiritual warfare in this life? I have begun to uh, be firmly convinced and convicted of the fact that spiritual warfare is not merely something that, that takes place in the arena of inner self and our spiritual struggle, but it is a distinct, definite, descript thing that is transpiring in the world around us. It is true that there is a conflict within you and I between the old man and the new man. It is true uh, that Jesus wants to get victory in our lives personally as we yield unto Him. And I don't want to minimize that. But spiritual warfare, when it is spoken about in the Word of God, it is more often spoken about as an external matter than it is as an internal matter. In other words, there's a battle going on around. And as the old songwriter said, listen, it's not a playground, it's a battlefield that we're living in. So it's no surprise that uh, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy and likens the believer to a soldier. But understand that this analogy, this illustration that Paul uses here would have been pregnant with meaning at this time. The soldier culture in ancient Greece and Sparta and then, of course, in Paul's day in ancient Rome was one of the most formidable cultural influences in that society. Uh, people were trained from a young age and they gave their lives to the calling and to the cause of being a soldier for the glory of Rome. And their entire identity was vested in this vocation, in this calling that was placed on their life. Think about how meaningful it must have been when Paul wrote to believers and to Timothy in particular and said the same way that those Roman uh, legionnaires commit their life, devote themselves, the same way that they sacrifice everything in the service of Rome, that they might just have the glory and privilege of being known as one of the emperor's soldiers, that's the way you and I ought to view the Christian life. I think if we approached spiritual warfare like soldiers, we'd get the victory more. Sadly, we approach spiritual warfare like spectators. We sit over on the side and we view it as a perspective thing that's just happening out in the ether somewhere. And then we are shocked to learn 
that it has an impact upon us. But that's not the way the Apostle Paul described it. He said, listen, every one of us, we've been called, we've been enlisted, we've been drafted. When you got born again, you became a soldier of Jesus Christ. He's speaking about a frame of mind, you understand. And this, I think, is what's so desperately missing from modern day Christianity. We view Christianity as being sort of a cultural or, or spiritual or mystical association. We think of it as which box we check on, 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 a, on a census or a survey as though it's just sort of where we cast our lot and where we put our name. But you understand, when you got born again, you became a part of something real. Something that you can't escape. Something that you can't walk away from. When you got born again, I'm talking about you enlisted. You became a part of this army of the Lord. So when we read this passage of Scripture, I want us to take note of three separate thoughts that are found here. First, I want you to notice with me the call to enlistment. He calls us a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, what did it mean in Paul's day? Uh, And many of these things apply even still today in modern military structure. But what did it mean in Paul's day to be a soldier? Well, I would say three things. To be a soldier... Uh, to have the calling of being a soldier upon your life meant three things. One, it meant a life of dedication. If there's anything we're sorely missing in Christianity today, it's dedication. Uh, we live in a time where Christianity is expected to fit into our schedules. And if it doesn't, it's just left off the table. But in Paul's day, if a man was a soldier, it meant dedicating his life to certain things. For instance, it meant a life of dedication to the calling of being a soldier. Soldiering at this time was a lifelong thing. A man didn't just enlist for two years or three years or four years. He didn't even, I mean, in modern military culture and and structure, a man that's considered a lifetimer might be in it for 20 or 30 years. But in ancient Rome, when a man became a soldier, he was a soldier as long as he was able to wield sword and shield. There was no retirement. There was no discharge. It wasn't just something you did. It's who you were. Can I ask you if Christianity to you is something you do or something you are? Something you are. It's the very very substance of your personality, of your character, of who you are. Uh, One of the dangerous trends I've seen in so much modern day Christendom, and we can talk about the contemporary Christian movement, modern day Christianity as regards that, but it's not just there. I mean, it's everywhere. It's endemic in our society. Is this tendency to want to compartmentalize our walk with Christ into certain areas and to live almost like a double life where we've got our church life, our spiritual life, the the things that we sort of schedule and allot to God and to Jesus Christ. And then we've got everything else that we view as being our own and of our own purchase and of our own government. I don't believe this is how Paul lived his life. I believe if it was, he wouldn't have said this, for me to live is Christ. That's pretty strong language. To live is Christ. He said there's never going to come a time when I'm going to back away. There's never going to come a time when I'm going to retire. There's never going to be a time when I walk away. He said for all of my life, as long as I draw a breath, that breath will belong to Jesus Christ. Now you and I both recognize and understand there are things that People in their in their younger years of life have the physical capability to do that. People as their uh, as their hair grays and as their joints ache that they're no longer able to do. So I'm not saying that the manner in which we serve the Lord does not shift and morph and transform throughout the years. 
But I'm saying this idea of saying, I've gotten to a place and I'm just going to back away and I'm just going to sign off and I'm just going to be done with it. I wouldn't accuse anybody in here of being that way. You're here on a Wednesday night at the end of December, amen, in the middle of Rona pandemic. I mean, I'm not saying you tonight. If if somebody's saying it to you, it's the Holy Ghost, not me, because I'm not saying it to you. But I'm saying that in Christianity today, it has become a common mindset. I do it for a little while and then I back away. And how many of of us know, I would venture all of us know people who live their life in such fits and spurts. Uh, it's almost, they're, they're sort of like the National Guard. You know, you'll see them one week in a month and, you know, a couple of months every every year. And that's about it. They're just, they're in and they're out and they're in and they're out. Hey, listen, to be a soldier at this time, it didn't mean just showing up occasionally. It didn't mean just turning up when you felt like it. It was a dedication to the calling. It was a lifelong thing. I would say, number two, it was a dedication to the conflict. Uh, all that a soldier was and did in his life was meaningless if he failed or fled in the heat of battle. If he wasn't dedicated to anything else, he had to be dedicated to standing and fighting. We're moving and working towards a really a central thought that I don't want to get ahead of before I get to it in the message tonight. But suffice it to say that this thing of Christianity is a thing of warfare. I'm not talking about physical warfare. I'm not talking about the warfare of the violence, the edge of the sword, but I'm saying that the hardness, the difficulty that is a part of Christianity, it is indeed a part of Christianity. And as such, we need to understand that during the hard times, that's not when we run. That's when we dig in. When it gets difficult, that's not when we, when we lay down. That's when we straighten our back and move ahead and push forward. A soldier, whatever else he could do, however however much skill he had in the sparring ring, however much knowledge he had of drills in his mind, none of it meant anything if he couldn't stand on the field of battle in the day of conflict. Can I say that so much of our theoretical Christianity today, and I call it theoretical because it's something that we have we have crafted and we, we have curated to be uh, practiced within a church house in a friendly environment, it's not going to stand when we're in the day of conflict. We're going to have to have something deeper. We're going to have to have something stronger. And we need to recognize that we have to be dedicated to this thing even when it's difficult. So there had to be dedication to the conflict. Then I would say this, and this is very evident from our text, there had to be dedication to the captain. Now, I would expand it a little further, maybe. I would say this. A soldier must be dedicated to one of three things, typically, either to a country to a cause, or to a captain. Something or someone must be what the soldier fights for. Uh, there's a reason that the use of mercenaries throughout human history, it's been a prevalent thing, but typically they can't build movements and can't really win wars. They can be used to shore things up, but they can't be the one that carries the passion of the cause because all they're in it for is the paycheck. When the next person comes along, they'll take their paycheck instead. All successful armies have coalesced around either the ideal of a country, the ideal of a certain cause, or a singular leader or captain. I would say this, though, we could make application of all three of those things to Christianity. Let's hearken back to the text and notice that we're not just a good soldier of independent Baptists. We're not just a good soldier of Christianity. We're not just a good soldier of trying to win people the Lord and all of those things noble and all of those things important. But we're called a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In other words, His personality, His person must be central. The very reason and heartbeat for what we do, why we do what we do. A soldier has to be dedicated to the captain. He has to have a belief 
in the person that leads him. He has to have confidence that the person that is leading him is worth fighting for. Do you believe Christ is worth enduring for? I know you do. I trust you do. But I would just remind you that this thing of being a soldier, it means a life of dedication. Number two, it also means a life of discipline. It's a calling to a life of discipline. Now, I would say really two things. One, it's a calling to a life of discipline in regards to order. A soldier's life is thoroughly regimented. Any of you that have ever spent time in the military, you know what that is. Uh, for you to be woke up uh, by a whistle, for you to be told when to eat, and when to go to the restroom, when to run here and when to run there, and when to do this and when to do that, and when not to do this, and when you better do that, and so on and so forth. Your life is thoroughly regimented. There has to be order and structure to everything that they do. And can I just say it this way? I think you're going to get where I'm going when I say this. They live by the book. Nothing's random in their life. Everything's spelled out in a manual. Everything dictated out to them. They live by the book. Can I tell you that to be a soldier of Jesus Christ is to live by the book. It's not merely to go about doing our own thing and living our own way, but instead it's to submit ourselves and, and subject ourselves to the standards of the truth of God's Word. A soldier isn't asked his opinion. A soldier isn't asked how he feels things should be done or what should... Instead, the manual tells him what to do. And can I say that in your life and mine, we spend far too much time telling the captain how things ought to be done instead of going to the manual to find out his will and his desire for it. It's a life of order, thoroughly regimented. And let me say, and I, listen, I'm preaching to me tonight when I say this, uh, we need discipline in the Christian life. We need order in the Christian life. And that doesn't mean that the Christian life is not a life of enjoyment and pleasure, but it does mean that if our life is going to be successful, it's going to have to be in conformity to the standards of God's Word. It's going to have to be. So it's a life of order uh, in regards to discipline. But then I would say this, in regards to discipline, it's a life of obedience. A soldier's life revolves around receiving and obeying commands. In fact, I would say this, the foundation of soldiering is obedience to authority. A soldier cannot be successful without obedience. Uh, one of the things that the military always tries to crush out of a man is individuality. There's a reason for that. While God does not despise a man's individuality, and God has the omniscience and the prescience to be able to account for a man's individuality, uh, the military does not have the ability to do that. And so the only way that they can produce any kind of, of order and success in their life is to crush out that individuality. You know why that is? Because that individuality will make a man rise up in defiance of orders. And if the, if the army is going to march forward, if the plan is going to be executed, then everybody has to obey the orders that are given to them. Can I say that your life and mine as a soldier of Jesus Christ will only be successful in as much as we are obedient to God's command. Uh, we live in a country and a culture, and I don't despise this, I appreciate this, but we live in a country and culture that values rugged individualism. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Listen, you and I wouldn't be sitting here in freedom if there weren't some rugged individualists in our country's history. But in regards to that sort of lauding of individualism, we need to have that tempered as a believer of Jesus Christ in recognition of the fact that every one of us, our life ought to be a, an exercise in interdependence upon God. God doesn't need us to be a maverick. He needs us to be a servant. And if God's going to use us, we have to have a life of obedience on Him. If you're not obeying God, you're not living for God. 
You may be living going in the same direction as God would have had you to go. But if you're not living in obedience to God, you're not living for God. There's militaries all over the world that follow certain standard procedures and protocols. And if the, if the leader, if the captain of one particular army was to be commanding another force, he might tell them to do the exact same thing. But that platoon, that army, that, that company is not serving that captain unless they put themselves under subjection to his orders. So much of Christianity is just trying to read the room and just do what we think a Christian would do if he was living for God, instead of living in direct obedience to the captain. I've used this analogy before, and I'm not going to go deep into it. I don't have time to do it. Uh, But the difference between a quarterback that calls plays from the huddle and one that listens to direction from the sideline. The quarterback calling plays from the huddle, and there's a time when that's appropriate on a football field. But the reason the quarterback does that, he's assuming what the coach would want. And he's just trying to sort of project and mimic and, and, and imitate what he thinks the coaching of the coach would look like if the coach was in the huddle. But can I tell you this? Listen, our, and I'm not talking irreverently about the Lord. Please understand, I don't mean it. But for the sake of the analogy, the coach is always in the huddle. He's always present with us. We don't have to lean on our own understanding. We can live in obedience and direct communion with Him. So it's a life of discipline. But then I would say this, in this call to enlistment, what does it mean to be a soldier? It's a life of dedication and discipline. But I would say also it is a life of distinction. This is something that I think is becoming less uh, less prevalent in, in human psyche and consciousness today. But at this time in Paul's day, to be a soldier uh, was to definitionally be a unique and distinct class of people, separate from the general population. This is part of the reason throughout human history, soldiers typically have worn uniforms. Uh, It wasn't always so they could tell who people were on the battlefield, but it was because it projected to the common person that that man in that uniform, that individual that was marching there, was a different cut and caliber of individual. To be a Christian, to be a soldier of Jesus Christ, it definitionally means to be unique and distinct from the rest of the world. Uh, A soldier wouldn't be much of a soldier if he couldn't be identified as a soldier. What does that say about our Christianity today? Uh, is, is a Christian much of a Christian if they can't be singled out as a Christian? Well, we ought to live a life different from those around us. It's definitionally appropriate. And I keep using that word. It's as explicit as I can say it. It is literally the definition of what it means to be a Christian, to be Christ-like while the world is not. To be separate, to be distinct. And to be unique. So I see this call to enlistment here. But then I want you to notice number two, we see a command to endure. The rest of the message isn't that long, so don't, don't, don't be nervous. Uh, he begins verse three by saying this, thou therefore, and he gives two words, he gives a command, endure hardness. So we know what it means to be a soldier, but what does it involve or what does it require or what exactly will we be engaging in? If we are a soldier, well, he only gives us these two words, but in it, I believe he does a fit job. The Holy Spirit does of defining what being a soldier is. He calls it enduring hardness. I'd say we've endured some hardness this past year. Certainly not like some of our Christian brethren and sisters in in some of the places across the globe. Uh, Many, I listen, untold tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands have been martyred this year across this planet. And uh, we've been very blessed that we've been able to enjoy the 
safety and security and leisure that we've been able to enjoy. So I don't want to oversell whatever hardness we've experienced. But because we tend to think much of the hardness that we endure, I think it is worth noting what Paul's instruction here implies to us. I would say it tells us three things about this matter of hardness. Now, by the way, what does it mean to endure hardness? It means to bear up under difficulty. Difficult days, difficult times. Uh, We're living in difficult days right now. Uh, Everything's harder than it was a year ago. Go to the store, it's harder. Go to the post office, it's harder. Go visit somebody, it's harder. doesn't matter what you do, everything's harder. What should our response be? Well, I'll tell you this, it sure shouldn't be to give up. It should instead be to endure. So here we notice three things. Number one, I want you to notice that hardness is a part of soldiering. Enduring hardness is a natural element of soldiering. A soldier should not expect a life of leisure and comfort. Hardness is not a sign that anything is amiss in a soldier's life. Rather, it's part of being a soldier. And can I tell you that we have, I, I don't know, man, we've let Creflo Dollar leak into our head somewhere or something. We've let Joel Olstein, that smile has blinded us somehow. And we've, we've somehow let that just leach into our brain. And we, we've got to thinking that this thing of being a Christian means being, things being easy. But that's not the case. Nowhere does the Lord say being a Christian is easy. He does say that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But you know what he's talking about there? He's talking about serving him and the hardness that comes from serving him. Not that there wouldn't be a yoke upon us, but that he would help us bear it up. In other words, this thing of, of hardness, it's, it's a part of this. It's a part of this life. And for too long, we have enjoyed leisure and comfort. And I don't begrudge that. I, listen, I hope there's easier days ahead. I'm a little skeptical, but I hope there's easier days ahead. But I'm just telling you, even if there's not, it ain't because this thing called New Testament Christianity is broke. It ain't because something went haywire and went wrong. This has always been a part of Christianity. So hardness is a part uh, of, of soldiering. And then I would go even a little further. I would say this. Uh, when taking into consideration the traveling and the training and the fighting, really soldiering is actually nothing but hardness. Hardness isn't just a part of soldiering. I would say this, that hardness is the point of soldiering. What does a soldier do that's not difficult? Uh, from the day that a soldier arrives uh, and, and, and stands and, and reports for duty, uh, their day is filled with, with you know, hefting rucksacks and running tens of miles and, and sleep deprivation and food deprivation, all these various things that they must endure. And then once they get through all that, all they've got left is to go fight a war. What part of soldiering is easy? I'm not the one that said Christianity was like soldiering. The Holy Ghost said Christianity was like soldiering. And I'm just telling you tonight, hardness isn't just a part of soldiering. It's the whole point of soldiering. It's the substance of soldiering. If a soldier catches any glimpse of of rest, any, any fleeting moment of leisure, that is the exception. That's certainly not the rule. We're astounded because we have been called to bear burdens in this life. And yet I would say the fact that we ever received blessings was the thing that was amazing. Not that we've had to bear burdens. Look at the life of our Lord and Savior. He's born to die. He lived. Listen, I, you know, one of the hardest things about this past year has been everything we've learned. I'm ready to go back being dumb and ignorant, aren't you? I'm ready going back when I, when I thought everything was working, you know? <laughs> Imagine being the Son of God and living with omniscience. 
and walking through this world and every face you look into, you'll know you've died for or are going to die for. And so many of them that you look into, you'll know will, will go on to reject you to die in their sins. Imagine what his life was. I'm talking about, let, let's say, long before he ever gets to Calvary. And we all know the horrors and atrocities of Calvary. But long before he gets there, his time was a time of enduring hearts. It's the reason the Bible calls him a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I would say this then, to be like Christ is to endure hardness. He, he said this, I'm not saying it, he said this. He said if a man will follow me, he must be willing to, to give up everything. He's got to be willing to sleep out and in the open stars. He's got to be willing to say goodbye to family and, and friends and loved ones. He's got to be willing to do all those things. When Christ would talk about discipleship, he didn't try to lure men in with promises of cash and fabulous prizes. Instead, he said it's a life of hardness. I would say that hardness is the point of soldiering. But then I would go a step further and say this. Hardness is the prestige of soldiering. Stick with me now. If soldiering didn't involve hardness, then anyone would be a soldier. The glory that a soldier enjoys is rooted in the hardness that he endures. It's hardness that makes soldiering meaningful. Every time you go to Shoney's and see that veteran sitting there with that hat on their head, and you go up and shake their hand or maybe leave the tip for them or whatever it might be. Why do you do that? Because you know that he's been through some things. You know that he's seen some things. You know that he's fought. You know that he's sacrificed. You wouldn't do that if being a soldier was easy. You wouldn't do that if being a soldier was simple. The very fact that makes it meaningful, that, that lends to it glory and, and prestige is the fact that it's hard. And can I just say this? Listen, if serving God was easy, everybody would do it. If this thing of keeping your testimony pure, keeping your spirit joyful, keeping your mind right, and keeping your heart fixed on the Lord, if that was a simple task, we'd be walking around in a world filled with stellar Christians. That's not the case. And we shouldn't anticipate it being the case. You see, enduring hardness, that's the prestige of soldiering. That's what makes it meaningful. God didn't save you and I just so we could live like everybody else lives. What would have been the point of it? Why would He leave us here to live in this world if if all He wanted to do was make us like this world? No, this thing of Christianity, it's a matter of enduring hardness. So He gives the command to endure. And then finally, and I want to say a word about this, I'll be done tonight. Look at verse 4 with me. So we find in this passage the call to enlistment. What? What does it mean to be a soldier? Well, it's a life of dedication and discipline and distinction. We see the command to endure. Hardness is a part of soldiering. It's the point of soldiering. It's the prestige of soldiering. But then finally, I want you to notice he gives a warning in verse 4. And What is this warning against? It's against the compromise of entanglement. I would maybe say this, that central to this entire passage is this warning. And he tells us, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this line. You notice he didn't say if a man wants to be a good soldier, he doesn't do this. He says no man that warreth. In other words, he does not say you, as a soldier, you shouldn't do this. He says if you do this, you won't war. If you war, you won't do this. Could it be that we've entangled ourselves, and I'm getting ahead in my message, but could it be we've entangled ourselves with the affairs of this life and we call ourselves soldiers, but point in fact we are actually just spectators. 
We forfeited the ability to war a good warfare when we entangled ourselves with the affairs of this life. No man that warreth entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Notice three things with me. One, notice the distractions of entanglement. The entanglements that are warned against are not dark sins and depravity. Rather, they are simply the affairs of this life. Can I say that distractions can get a soldier killed as easily as disobedience or incompetence? Life comes at you fast. War comes at you fast. You don't have but just to blink, and that can be enough time for your life to be snuffed out. How could we ever expect to be who God calls us to be as we're living a life dazzled by the shiny things that this world offers to us? Now understand that God understands that we must work, we must live. God uh, lauds hard work and there's nothing wrong with that. But notice the word that God uses here. He says He entangled. Now here's the problem. The problem is not that we engage with the affairs of this life. The problem is we've done got entangled with. They're the things that we're leaning on. They're the things that are meaningful to us. It's not that we've got our hooks in them. It's that they've got their hooks in us. A soldier must uh, have some of the things of this life. They've got to have food. They've got to have clothes. They've got to have uh, water. They've got to have shelter. Although I would say this, if they're a good soldier, their captain will provide all that for them. But the thing here is not that a soldier was to live like some kind of, of, you know, existential monk with no connection at all to this world, but rather that he needed to disentangle himself with the things of this life that would keep him from being willing to step on to the battlefield. The things that will stop you and I as Christians, and I say this particularly to us living here in the West, in America, in the South, in the Bible Belt, in the buckle of the Bible Belt. I'm talking about people we've been raised with so much church, we just don't even know what to do anymore. The thing that will get you and I is probably not some of those dark sins and depravity. Although, granted, if you engage in those, they will wreck your life. But the thing that I believe hobbles most of us is we just get too busy living this life to ever live this life for Christ. we just got too much going on. You say, preacher, I've got to have something going on. Yeah, I understand that. You've got to work a job. You've got responsibilities. I do too. We all do. But that doesn't mean we should allow any of those things to crowd out our devotion to Christ or our service for Him. What are you doing for Christ? I'm, I'm not talking about as far as loving Him. I'm not talking about as far as, as uh, you know being devoted to Him uh, emotionally. or men- I'm talking about what are we doing for the Lord? Do we spend far more time doing for the world? than we do doing for the Lord. I'd say if we do, we're probably entangled. We see the distractions of entanglement. Number two, I want you to notice the danger of entanglement. What does he say here? No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. A soldier who is entangled is prevented from waging effective warfare. He's either going to shrink from the battle in fear, or he will fall in the battle due to a lack of focus. In other words, when the day comes, you'll just back away. And that's what we find in our lives. Isn't that what we see in modern Christianity? A slow creep out the door, away from the things of God. We're witnessing it before our very eyes. I understand we're living in trying times. I understand we're living in days where men wish they could be more present, more active, and more involved. 
than what they're able to. And I understand all of that tonight. But I'm saying that I see a trend in society. And I bet you see that trend as well. That we see modern day Christianity here in the West. Men just slowly inching away from the things of God. There was a time that it was central to our life. There was a time when it was central to who we were. Now we're living a day where men are just when the day of battle comes, they're just sort of stepping back. They're being dragged back. Uh, many of the people in this room, you grew up in a time where you didn't just go to church Sunday and, and Wednesday, you went to revivals all through the week long. You went to singings, you went to prayer cottage meetings. You, uh, if you wanted any of those things, you studying your Bible, you are doing those things. What happened to our lives? What happened to our days? What happened to our churches here in America? I would say this, we got all tangled up. We're more concerned with what scrolls across the news than what lives in God's eternal Word. We're entangled in this life. So I see the danger of entanglement. But then I want you to notice, and I'm done tonight, the disappointment of entanglement. What's the great danger here? The great danger is not merely that the soldier falls in battle. In fact, I would say this to you, that many a noble soldier does fall in battle. In fact, there are many soldiers, not as much today, it's not as, as prevalent in, in today's modern society, but all throughout history, there was men particularly of the class that Paul is talking about here when he's likening it to Roman soldiers, that their greatest desire would have been to fall in battle. They didn't want to, what's the old saying, they didn't want to, they didn't want to die with their boots off. They wanted to die on the battlefield. So what's the real danger here? See, a soldier doesn't fear death. If he did, he wouldn't be on the battlefield. A true soldier's greatest fear is that they die in shame without honor. The chief warning in this passage is that the entanglement of the soldier brings disappointment to the Savior. The worst thing that can happen in your life and mine is that we disappoint Him. I'll tell you, that lives distant from our minds in these days. In a day when we are stoked to incessant fear of imminent peril, we forget that there's more important things. There's more important things. You say, preacher, we, we live in a day, death's creeping around every corner. Yeah, I know, I know. I've seen the news too. But can I tell you this, that there are worse things. There are worse things. My Bible says there are worse things. And one of the worst things that could happen to you and I is that as a soldier of Christ in the day of battle, we fail, we fall, we flee. The worst thing that could happen in your life and mine. This may mean, not mean much right now. One of these days you and I are going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. So I'm bound to tell you the truth tonight. And the worst thing that could happen in your life and mine is that we live a life that's not well pleasing to Him. That's going to matter more in that day. It's going to be more meaningful in that day. Whether we lived our life for Jesus Christ. We're a soldier. Uh, not we should be. We are. We got enlisted. We got drafted. We got shanghaied into this thing by the Holy Ghost. Amen. We got born again. And as a part of the family of God, we're a soldier. So the question then tonight is, are we a good soldier or are we a poor soldier? Are we enduring hardness or are we fleeing? Are we standing up in the day of battle, straightening our back, stealing our resolve and committing to go on for the Lord? Come what may and serve Him. For the rest of our life. Because there's no retirement from this enlistment. There's no discharge from this enlistment. B.R. Lakin you say, and I wish I could say it like him, but he used to say one of these days, I'll hang my sword on the walls of that glittering city, never to pick it up anymore. But until that day, we're going to continue soldiering on. question is, 
are we doing it in a way that pleases Him who hath chosen us to be a soul? Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. The altar is open. I don't know what the Lord may have said to you or spoken to you tonight, but I do know He wouldn't do it for no reason. So if He spoke to your heart, why don't you meet Him down in this altar and why don't you speak back to Him? Whatever He dealt with you about, lay it out before Him, yield to Him. Maybe there's something in your life, an area of disobedience, or maybe just an area in your life that's not being yielded to Him the way that it ought to be. Whatever it is He may have spoke to you about, why don't you meet Him down here in this altar? Father, bless this invitation. May it glorify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.